As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. If you know, then you know it's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working all week. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, That's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing. Big Jed, summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? (laughs) Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? Well, not so much, Luke. Well, if you change your mind, you're in luck. Our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes, you guessed it, the Lawnmower 4.0. That's right, the 4.0. Complement your summer bod with a trim from the leaders in male grooming. Yeah, Luke, the, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the trimmer that will change the way you approach your grooming routine. Okay? Uh, and that needs changing because I can tell got- you on my end, yeah, that needs changing. Yeah, <laughs> nobody's got products this good. So the lawnmower 4.0 will change that for you. You know, it's the fourth generation trimmer and it features the advanced skin safe technology to reduce grooming accidents. You know, you don't want 
ingrown hairs or snags on your boys before beach season. I mean, who who would want that? That would be a terrible thing to happen. Now, the lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor. I mean, I shift big red about 72, 75. So 7,000 RPMs is in my comfort zone. I love it. And the, the, the lawnmower 4.0 will zing it up there really good, like coming out of the water box on the rug. And it's got an on-off travel lock. It gives you the ability to turn the, the 4,000 K LED spotlight on and off. So, you know, when you go into Bat Cave, you can really get a look at what's out there in front of you and, and not uh, get any surprises. So, you know, you need the lawnmower 4.0. Let's just make it that simple. You know, if the power grid goes out in Texas again, and that's bound to happen at some point, you can use your lawnmower 4.0 to illuminate the way that, that you're traveling, so to speak. Uh, the LED spotlight's incredible. It gives you a great view of the terrain, if you will, that, that you're on. So uh, this is a great product, and everybody needs it, Luke. You know, the sun's shining, and it's calling your name, fellas. So join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer like I'm getting ready for by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping just simply by using the promo code JED. That's J-E-D. And you put that in, you get 20% off the product and free shipping. Go do yourself a favor or do the man in your life a favor by getting them the lawnmower 4.0 today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss adult film stars, Olympic athletes, and drag racers. But today, we turn our focus specifically to one Kyle Seipel, our friend, uh, who uh, I think, as we all know at this point, uh, we lost to his battle with cancer about a month ago. And that month has been spent, for many of us, um, mourning, remembering, and perhaps rightfully so, to the mourning part. I mean, obviously, there are uh, various stages to, to grief, or so they say, and uh, it's, it's, in many ways, it's, it's very sad to know that we lost Kyle too soon. Uh, he left behind a young family, um, and, I, and I think it's fair to say within our sport and obviously beyond it, um, that it feels like while Kyle touched a great many lives, he had many lives yet to touch had he had that opportunity. Um, and it's, it's undeniable that Kyle had an indelible impact on our sport, first as a, as a racer and as a, as a pioneer, a trailblazer, specifically on the West Coast, but really nationwide um, and, and sport-wide within our, within our um, level of competition. And then, you know, later, um, later on as within the industry, you know, specifically as a, as a promoter, um, Kyle changed the game in more ways than one. But I think what's more important, and I know that we touched on this before, uh, that he leaves behind just this bevy of relationships uh, to know Kyle was to love him. And ultimately, that's 
what our goal is with this episode today, a, a celebration of life, if you will. So what Jed and I did is uh, we've reached out to a handful of racers that we know were close to Kyle with a, a simple but difficult request. And that's to simply hey, share with us your favorite Kyle Seipel's story. Okay, positive vibes only, right? Like, uh, our only requests were make it fun, make it memorable, right? Keep it brief, 10 minutes-ish, and, uh, and, and then most importantly, keep it podcast-friendly. Like, keep the rating PG-13, if you will. And some feedback that we got from that was some of the people that we reached out to just weren't comfortable. Like, it didn't feel right for any variety of reasons, which we completely understand, obviously. Um, we also had several come back and say, like, look, I got a lot of Kyle Seifel stories. I don't know that I have any that meet the PG-13 requirement, which if you knew Kyle, um, that's understandable as well. But we did have some responses, and they're awesome. And I look forward to sharing them here in this episode today as, as Mark splices this together. Um, our contributors include Sean Clark, who will take us back to 1992 and a memorable trip to the races with one Kyle Seipel. Um, Marco Paravalaris, uh, with more recent um, Kyle memories, three short but familiar and, uh, and, and uh, humorous Kyle Seipel stories. And then lastly, uh, Eric Reyes, um, with a glimpse into young Kyle, uh, a Kyle that, that I didn't have the opportunity to know, uh, a little peek at the drive and the ingenuity, the forward thinking that really made Kyle the success story uh, that he would become on the racetrack. So for those of you who had the opportunity to know Kyle personally, uh, our hope is that hearing these stories makes you smile. For those of you who didn't have the opportunity to know Kyle personally, hopefully this provides a little peek into what you missed out on. And believe me, you missed out. Um, before we get to our esteemed guest, I have a, I have a Kyle Seipel story uh, of my own to share. So the year is, uh, is 2018. It's June 2018. And, and if the timeline serves me correctly, like this is just months or perhaps even weeks prior to his diagnosis or um, at least making his diagnosis public. I had no idea at this time. And uh, we're at Joliet. He's driving Justin Lamb's blown dragster in top dragster. I happened to also be competing in top dragster in the event the field wasn't full and uh, I was running my wife's bracket car. And uh, we're the last two cars in the lanes for the first session of, uh, of top dragster. Kyle's just in front of me. And um, there's probably five pairs of cars yet, you know, lined up uh, underneath the tower. Uh, and then, you know, we're, we're back to back in line, but we'll uh, ultimately be the last pair. And uh, I'm, I'm getting suited up and I, and I just sat down into the car and, and Kyle comes strolling back to me very nonchalantly, uh, no, no, no safety gear on yet. And, uh, and says, uh, hey, cool hand. Um, you think I could make this run without the gas cap? Bear in mind, he's in a blown top dragster car that I believe went like 680s. And I just looked at him like he was crazy and said, uh, no, like that, that's not a good idea. And, it, and it was, he had this look on his face like I kind of shot his dog. And he's like, oh, would, do you have one? 
And I said, well, believe it or not, um, I do have some, some fuel necks in the trailer. Long story as to why. Like, I, I might have the gas cap that you need. Oh, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Great. And he just kind of looked at me like he expected me to produce it right then, you know, from the glove box in the car. And I'm like, look, I, I, don't, I don't have anybody with me that could go get that. And, you know, at Joliet, we're probably half a mile or more from my pit area. Oh, okay, okay. Do um, you think I could just tape it up? I'm like, yeah, yeah, if you could find some tape, you could, you could make that work. Okay, okay. And he just very, again, casually, just kind of strolls off from the staging lanes over toward the pro pits uh, across the staging lanes from us. And I take one look, and I thought, well, that guy's not making this run, right? <laughs> so I start my car, and I drive around Kyle's car, and basically up under the tower, and uh, finish putting my safety gear on. And I get to the ready line, and I, I'm obviously going to make a signal, single, and they just as they motion me up into the water, whoa, 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 whoa stop, 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 and Kyle comes round in the turn, and, and I shut my car off knowing, right, and uh, and I look over, and, and Kyle rolls up there, uh, putting his seatbelts on, doesn't have a helmet, doesn't have nothing, right, so we, we wait uh, for a couple minutes while he gets suited up, and then uh, they send us off, and he makes the run just fine, so I'm thinking, oh, obviously, he found some tape, right, and uh, I get back to my trailer, and hop out of the car and uh who's i look back and kyle's right behind me has has followed me to the trailer in his car and i thought good lord what what's what's going on right and uh, i said hey what's up he says uh do you have that gas cap i go i'm and keep in mind like i still have my jacket pants on just looking at my time slip i'm like uh yeah do, do, do you want it now um listen man it's justin's car right and, um, like for years, the only things that, that he's trusted me to do is to hook up the battery charger and fill it up with gas. And the, the, the division race we were at a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I hooked the battery charger up backwards and I fried the battery. So he won't even let me plug in the battery charger anymore. Like literally the only thing that he trusts me to do is put gas in it. And I, and I can't do that. Like I lost the freaking gas cap. So like, I, I, if you got a gas cap, I, I'd love to put it on before he even found out. Okay, man. Um, so we dig through my trailer, and sure enough, find a gas cap that screws on there. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he drives off and gets back to the trailer. Now, truth be known, he took so long in getting back that Justin was on to him and ultimately got the whole story. I'm, I'm not letting the cat out of the bag here at all. But uh, as as goofy and as one-off as that story may sound, because uh, like it's not certainly my my fondest memory of Kyle or probably even my funniest Kyle Seipel story um it was just memorable and it was the first thing that came to mind but if you want to take something away from that it's number one um Kyle knew his strengths right and he didn't he didn't waste a lot of time worrying about what he wasn't great at and in our world his strength was obviously driving the race car and the the numbers and all of the nuance that went that goes into competition like i think it's fair to say that kyle was a racing savant right like he just picked up things and paid attention to things that many of us would never think about what he didn't have and gets illustrated in i think all of these stories at some point what, what kyle did not possess was a a great deal of mechanical ability or perhaps any mechanical ability. But he was fine with that. Like, he just 
didn't spend a lot of time focusing on what he couldn't do and allowing that to inhibit him from being good at what he could. And I think we could all learn a little something from that. And my, my second takeaway from this, and this isn't so much about Kyle as it is about the rest of us, because to know Kyle or to even be around Kyle, um, you knew his infectious personality. It was larger than life, right? And when we see those people, we just think about this supremely confident being that's like, hey, this is who I am, take it or leave it. And I think for most, that was the perception of Kyle Seipel, it is, as it is the perception of, of so many people that, that have that kind of aura about him. As much as we, me, personally, and perhaps many of us set Kyle kind of on that, on that pedestal, uh, I think this story illustrates that he deeply cared about what select individuals, in this case, Justin Lamb, uh, but people that he genuinely respected, people who believed in him, people who gave him an opportunity, he didn't want to let them down, like truly didn't want to let them down. And I think that that, to some extent, I think that lives in all of us no matter how strong we appear uh, on the outside. So that, uh, that, that bit of vulnerability, like I say, that just, uh, that sticks with me as a, as a, not so much as a memory of Kyle, as, it, as much as a, as a life lesson uh, in general. So with that said, I'm gonna pitch this over to Sean Clark. Now, many of you are familiar with Sean as a, uh, as a big part of the Spring Fling team. Uh, Sean was uh, in charge of, of prize distribution and, and did a lot of things behind the scenes. I was a very familiar face within the flings. Uh, but the reason that, that Sean took that position is because, as he explains here, he was a lifelong friend, brother, in, in, his, in his own words, to Kyle Seipel. And uh, in this story, Sean takes us on a... Uh, trip down memory lane for a very memorable trip to the races. Uh, this was uh, life in a, a, a day or a weekend in the life of Kyle Seipel circa 1992. Good evening, guys. Thanks for the opportunity to have me on the podcast and speak about our uh, beloved friend, Kyle Seipel. Uh, you know, somebody that's not only my friend, but somebody that I consider to be my brother. Um, having known Kyle for probably 34, 35 years. Uh, as you can imagine, I've got plenty of stories that I could tell about him, not all of which are, of course, uh, suited for public consumption, but nevertheless, I figured that I'd keep it uh, on the lighthearted side and tell a story in which um, not a lot of people have heard before because it really just occurred between the two of us. So uh, this took place in, uh, I would imagine, about 1992 or 1993. Uh, both of us were living in the Bay Area of California at that time, and we decided that we we're going to go down and attend a bracket race in Bakersfield, California, two-day bracket race. And uh, Kyle was going to ride down with me in my rig, and uh, we towed down in my rig, and then uh, we were going to meet a gentleman whose Kyle was going to drive for that weekend uh, named Joe Gieschlich. And Joe lived uh, just a few miles outside of uh, Bakersfield, California, about 20 miles from the track. And 
the plan was is that uh, we were going to drop by Joe's house and Kyle was going to pick up Joe's entire racing operation, the tow truck, the trailer, the dragster, you name it, and then uh, head on out to the racetrack. Uh, Joe had to work that weekend, and so he wasn't going to be there at the track at all. So we, uh, we went down to Joe's house, was going to pick up the dragster and uh, everything else. And, and of course, anybody that knows Kyle knows that, um, you know, he can be a little bit hard on parts from time to time. You know, he had a reputation of uh, breaking some things, kind of like a, uh, an old time Jake Hodge, if that makes sense. And so anyway, Joe was counseling Kyle on, uh, you know, holding it at a certain RPM and the burnout. So it was not hurt the motor or anything like that. And, uh, you know, this tow truck of uh, Joe's had a, uh, a manual transmission with a granny low on it, which Kyle had never driven before. And so Joe was giving him the ins and outs of how to drive the tow truck as well. And anyway, we uh, finally got through all the, uh, the ins and outs from Joe and uh, wound up heading out to the racetrack. And and that first day, Kyle got down to about round six and wound up uh, hurting the transmission. And so he was out and uh, we happened to notice that uh, there was a spare transmission in the trailer. So, you know, we got to thinking, well, we could swap that thing in and, and still race tomorrow. And so we uh, got to swap in the trans, I say we, but actually me and several of other Kyle's friends got to swapping out the, uh, the transmission and the dragster with this uh, spare. Wound up getting it all set so Kyle could drive the next day. Well, he uh, got down to, I think it was probably about the third round, and uh, wound up hanging the rods out of the engine and the dragster as well. And so, uh, you know, and looking at that thing, it was at least two or three different rods. And uh, so, you know, we had not only blown up a transmission, blown up the engine on this dragster, we finally uh, get the thing loaded back in the trailer and decided to head back to Joe's house to return all his equipment. Well, this is kind of where the fun started. And we were heading back to Joe's house. And like I said, it's about 20 miles away from the track there in Bakersfield. And we're heading down this county road. It's like a, a two-lane county road. And it's, it's a very long road. This stretch is very straight, about six miles long. And you can see quite a distance off. And, you know, we're driving down this road. It's normally about a 55-mile-an-hour road. And as I'm driving down, I'm in the lead and Kyle's behind me. And I noticed that Kyle is getting farther and farther back. And I'm thinking to myself, what the heck's going on? And, you know, I'm, I'm slowing down now to the point where I'm driving about 30 miles an hour and he's still getting further back. Now, keep in mind, this is about 1992, I said, somewhere in there. And so, you know, we had just really started to use cell phones on a regular basis. Nobody was texting or anything at that time. And so a little while goes by and I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? And Finally, Kyle gave me a call on the cell phone and uh, he goes, he goes, hey, Clark, he goes, is the trailer on fire? And I'm going, I'm going, what? And he's going, is the trailer on fire? And I'm looking back and I'm looking back and he, I mean, he's like three quarters of a mile behind me and I could barely see him to begin with. And I'm looking, I'm, I don't see any smoke or anything like that. And I go, I go, hey, Holmes, I think you're good. I, I don't see anything. And uh, he goes, good, because I just blew up the tow truck and I just wanted to make sure that uh, I can return at least one good piece of equipment to this guy. Anyway, um, so come to find out the clutch is broken in the tow truck and uh, the thing is stuck in granny low and Kyle's wheeling that thing up to about 5,000 RPMs just go about 15 miles an hour. And so we, uh, you know, he, he of course didn't know how to shift that thing manually without a clutch and 
I grew up driving like a 55 Ford F100 with uh, three in the tree and no synchros in the tranny. So, you know, I wound up talking them through how to like bring the RPMs up and low and then feather the gas a little bit, slide it out of low and neutral, give a little blip and then slide it into the next gear. Well, make a long story short, we finally limped that thing back to Joe's house. And, you know, we come in there on the high lope and Joe's not home and we lock up that truck, throw the keys up there on the porch and left. And, you know, it was, <laughs> I'm sure that to some extent, Kyle might not have liked the way that that thing turned out, but, uh, you know, breaking all of Joe's equipment and everything like that, that's not what he wanted. But uh, nevertheless, we had a grand old time going through that experience together. Um, just one of many experiences that I can think back of with my friend Kyle. Grateful for the opportunity to share that story with everybody and uh, hope that everybody enjoys all the other stories that uh, you'll hear on this podcast from Kyle. So Kyle, I love you. And I uh, look forward to seeing you again one day, my friend. All right. Our next uh, story, or in this case, set of stories, trio of stories, comes from Marco Paravalaris. Marco has been a guest here on the podcast before. Um, most recently, uh, nearly doubled up at, uh, at his hometown national event last weekend in Sonoma, uh, where he took the win in Supercomp. Uh, semi-final and super gas that was a uh, a very special very emotional win for marco on a number of levels uh, it's his hometown national event nothing sweeter than that one uh it's the first national event the first big event at sonoma um since kyle's passing obviously uh kyle was embedded in sonoma history uh and, and their relationship was very much cemented at that facility plus uh for marco personally um this is his uh his mother passed away, uh, what, less than six months ago as well. And obviously racing in her memory, like a lot of things converged um, to, to make that win really, really special for Marco. But uh, back to his relationship with Kyle, uh, I would say that Marco and Justin Lamb are probably the two most prominent in a pretty long history lineage of um, successful competitors who looked to Kyle Seipel as a mentor. And those two specifically uh, are probably Kyle's biggest protégés, if you will. And Marco takes us back to how he and Kyle first met and uh, a pretty hilarious and comical story uh, and how they got to racing together. And then a, a, a memorable, more recent story um, of them uh, meeting up in a final round. So uh, without further ado, enjoy a few words from Marco Paravlaris. Hi, I'm Marco Paravalaris, and I'm going to share three Kyle Seipel stories. In October 2011, I met Kyle for the first time at the Division 7 Finals at Las Vegas. Several months later, he gave my dad a call and offered to help me transition from a streetcar to a bracket car. My dad had a 67 Camaro bracket super streetcar at the time, and Kyle drove it in the first 70 T-Series race of the 2012 season at Sonoma Raceway. When he made the first run, he didn't clear it out before staging, which the Camaro blubbered off the starting line. When Kyle came back from the run, my dad told him to man up and give it a good clear out before staging it on the next run. Kyle proceeded to do a massive burnout, and he gave it a good clear out. Nonetheless, the car made a good run. Kyle came back from the run, got out of the car, and shouted, Hey, how's that? to my dad. If you knew Kyle, there were two words that followed the how's that. 
Meanwhile, the car was left in neutral and started to roll away. My dad said, it would have been perfect if you had put the car in park. Kyle turned, looked at the car rolling away, and we all started chasing it as it rolled into a stack of tires on the road course. We all sat there laughing. Two weeks later, Kyle drove my S10 that we had just put together. Kyle made a few time runs, and as he was rolling into the water box for the first round of eliminations, the oil pressure line connected to the oil pressure gauge burst. Kyle was showered in hot oil. His new iPhone was ruined, as well as his Sparco suit and, of course, his Oakland A's hat. Kyle wasn't even mad. My dad even poked some holes in a garbage bag, handed it to Kyle, saying, you should wear this over your fire suit for protection with this kind of luck. Kyle was furious until we all started laughing. It was from that point on that we knew we were going to be great friends. Seven years later, Kyle and I made it to the final round of a 4,000 to win quick 16 event at the Western States Championship. Kyle and I split the win runner-up purse and we're going to sit out the final. The shootout sponsor elected for us to run the final, which we agreed to. Kyle proceeded to whoop me in the final. After the event concluded, he gave me the big check and said, I want you to hang this check on the wall so that every time you look up there, it reminds you of who won the quick 16 today. Several days later, he came into the shop, looked up at the check on the wall and laughed. Kyle asked me yet again, who won the quick 16? It became an ongoing joke between us. Those are three of many Kyle stories that I have. Nevertheless, he was the big brother that I've never had, and I'm forever thankful for that. All right, and our last um, story, if you will, our last Kyle Seipel story in this episode um, comes, it takes us back to young Kyle. This is 1986, so Kyle Seipel's what... Uh, 15, 16 years old at this point, and uh, the story is told to us by Eric Reyes, uh, who I believe uh, it was Kyle that bestowed the, the name upon him that many of us know Eric by, and that is Stickman. Uh, <laughs> if, uh, if you were, were at or, uh, or watched the live stream of, uh, of Kyle's funeral services, you know that uh, Eric was actually not particularly fond, he's not particularly fond of that name, but uh, it kind of stuck. And um, so he takes us back to, to that time when, I mean, it was, uh, it was Eric and Kyle just, I don't know, I guess it was a little bit prior to their true domination of the West Coast, but those two guys ran together and won everything. May, perhaps Kyle with more notable success at times, but, but, but Stick um, definitely accrued more than his share of victories, and they did it very much together. It was very much a brotherhood. And, um, and they go way back and uh, they just have this very unique relationship that I feel like rings true anytime that you talk to Eric 
and, uh, and any time that Eric talks about Kyle. So um, without further ado, uh, he'll do a much better job than, uh, than I can of explaining it. I'm going to turn the mic over to uh, Eric Reyes. He's going to take us back to 1986. Tell you about a story that uh, only some of you know about, because this is way back in 1986. Kyle and I grew up uh, <clears throat> racing out at Fremont Drag Strip. Uh, then it was called Baylands Raceway. And uh, we, we grew up on a pro tree, which is not that big a deal. But the big deal was that there was no deep staging. So unless your car could pop a wheelie, and weighed less than, you know, 2,300 pounds, or it could weigh more, but you better have most of it in the trunk. It, you, you just weren't gonna, you weren't gonna do well. And, uh, you know, Ted Seipel and Danny DeVita were way ahead of the curve with, you know, 56% on the rear and a 94 uh, inch wheelbase. And, uh, you know, a 1432 tire, they, they were ripping them out of the beams and they were kicking everybody's butt. But, but on the bracket race side, you know, you had to learn the art of going in deep without dropping the top light. And uh, that's what Wednesday nights were for, for us to go out there every Wednesday night and practice. And I was, uh, I was in my little Nova wagon. Kyle was on his little Kawasaki 50 beating up on the motorcycle guys and I was giving the high schoolers a hard time but that was earlier 80s if you fast forward to 86 a uh, bracket race at Sonoma then called Sears Point Raceway there was a, some sort of jackpot it couldn't have been more than 300 bucks to win because that that that's you know just money to win just didn't exist on the west coast hence uh kyle's efforts to get get big bucks racing out here which he obviously successfully did but um i'm out early i'm helping kyle mow through the rounds here and he gets to the final up against a 22 or 24 second uh, uh one of those Aero Star vans, or it was one of the ones that first came out. It looked like a, looked like a shuttle, a Voyager or something. I don't know what it was, but it was a minivan that somebody was bracket racing. And the guy was, guy got to the final because the thing was so slow that you know people were were messing up against them. And Kyle didn't want to lose to this guy, so. He came up with this idea to get a stopwatch and have me count off nine seconds and then point to him. And then he would focus on the tree and hit that pro tree because there, obviously there was no crossover. There was no, you know, delay boxes and there was no open top bulbs or any of that stuff. It was just, uh, <laughs> it was just you had to count it off in your head and and let it rip but um so kyle got a stopwatch and says uh, hey stick uh 
count off nine seconds for me, point to me, and then uh, and then I'll do the rest. And uh, yeah, all right, oh, sure, no problem. So we got a few minutes here before they run the final, and I'm looking at the watch and clicking it and stopping it and make sure I know how to use this thing because I, I couldn't have, you know, him blame getting busted by a Vanagon uh, or Aerostar or whatever the hell it was because I jacked up the, uh, the stopwatch. And in my mind, I already was going to count off nine seconds in my head and lie to him if I miss, messed up the button. I was like, there ain't no way I'm going to mess this up. If I press the wrong button and that thing stops at two seconds, I'm going to count off the other seven. But uh, so anyway, the hard part was getting into a position that worked for um, for me at the start to be able to see the van side of the tree so I can start the watch, but be in a position for Kyle to be able to see me and then get to the tree comfortably. So I, I don't know how I did it. I, I sneaked over, watched, hit the button, went over and got in position. And I'm looking at the stopwatch and a couple seconds goes off three, four seconds. And I look up at him and I see his eyeballs looking at me like, uh, like something I've never seen before. It was, it was crazy. He was looking at me like a, I don't know, like how a, a lion stares at its prey as he's about to eat. It, it was just his eyeballs were zoomed in on me like I just can't even describe it, man. I, I His eyes were telling me, if you screw this up, I will never, ever talk to you again. Anyway, so I look back down at the watch. Thank God I, I got it going and it gets to nine and I. I point to him and he looks at the tree, he mats it and boom and his light comes on. Oh, thank goodness he won that race because I'd never hear the end of it if I messed up. But uh, we we just, man, we've tried so hard to to do well with a division seven system that was just you know behind the times you know the, the full tree was just not something that we were used to i mean when i won the et finals back in 84 i mean i went down to our our et finals in bakersfield and it was a, it was a full tree so here i am i win the championship the tracks championship at fremont running a pro tree no deep and and i gotta go to bakersfield and run a full tree and uh ted kyle's dad just pulled me aside and said here look this is what you're gonna do you're gonna put this visor down you're gonna roll in deep and you're gonna block out the top two yellows and just concentrate on that bottom yellow and uh you know it was the first time i ever did it and i end up i end up winning it was crazy I beat uh, Richard McFarland first round. Back then, the number one guys all had to race the number one guys from the other tracks. And so, you know, half of the badasses were gone first round. That was a dumb format. But um, that I just, you know, I can't say enough about the Seipel family and uh, 
you know, especially my little brother, Kyle. Uh, it was really hard to get in the car at the national event in Sonoma and super comp uh, last weekend without him being around. It, it was really hard on me emotionally. And obviously it was hard on me mentally because I, <laughs> car was nowhere near what it, where it should have been running. But anyway, I miss you, buddy, Kyle. Um, I got plenty of stories. If anybody ever wants to hear them, just hit me up on uh, on the social media, and I'll, I'll I'll tell you about some some X-rated ones if you want for you uh, goofballs out there that that know how horny he was. He was a horny son of a gun. I, you probably won't put that on the podcast, but that's all right. I, I never met somebody so horny in my life. This guy was a nut job. I like the priest said at his services he's one crazy bastard anyway i love you kyle i miss you so much and thank you for everything and save me a a spot and i'll see you on the other side all right that's it that's the show thanks so much to sean clark Marco Pervolaris, Eric Reyes, for uh, giving us a little glimpse, giving us a little insight, uh, sharing a few laughs, and uh, and hopefully making us all smile as we remember our good friend Kyle Seipel. Jed and I will be back with normally scheduled programming, if you will, uh, on next week's episode. So look forward to catching back up then. If you know, then you know it's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working on. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.